Well, good morning. My name is Matt. I'm a part of the teaching team here at Grace City. I help lead a, a life group with Rachel. And uh, yeah, we are halfway, halfway this morning through a, a little series that we are doing on the topic of anti-heroes. So the, the way that works is that we've been looking at different individuals throughout the Bible. Uh, and this week we are in the book of Judges. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Judges. The book of Judges, that's the, the seventh book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. If you get to 1 Samuel, you've gone too far. Turn back. Turn back. And, and while you turn to the book of Judges, chapter 7, I just want to give a, a reason for why we are looking at the story that we are looking at this morning. So last week, Rich, very briefly, mentioned this, this bit in the, in the, it's later in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, the letters of the Hebrews, which talks about men and women of faith. I don't know what you, what you think of, what you imagine when you hear someone talk. Because I hear people say that all the time, usually about people I've never met. You know, oh, her, oh, she is a woman of faith. Him, mm, she, he, he's a man of God, a mighty man of valor and courage and faith. And I don't know what you imagine when you hear people use that sort of language, man or woman of faith. Maybe, maybe you imagine someone who, when they look at you, they just look at you with eyes that only see eternity. And they, and they just have this serene, uh, gentle gracefulness that they, whenever they enter the room, it's almost as if they glide a foot above the ground given their staggering holiness. And, and such, uh, just such Herculean faith and courage must reside in this completely imaginary model of the Christian life that whatever life throws at them well, it just, it just glances off. And when the devil himself personally crafts a finely honed accusation, condemnation to cast, to hurl in the direction of our hypothetical titan of the Christian faith, well, they always have this hypothetical uh, man or woman of faith always has just the, the, the corresponding Bible verse ready to go, just to, to trumpet you know, the, the Christian equivalent of a mic drop, essentially. In fact, I'm willing to bet that the per- kind of person, the man or woman of faith that you're imagining, maybe they are even kind of physically quite, you know, uh, larger than life, great in stature in that. So I understand I'm, not, I'm the wrong person to be kind of trying to act this. I, I get it. But in my experience, in my experience, this is the kind of standard that, that we would have for our mighty man or woman of faith. But I'll... I'll just be honest, up front, cards on the table. I don't, I don't really see that standard in the Bible. And I think the story of a man called Gideon that we're going to look at this morning, I think is going to show that very, very clearly. So I want to look at this man named Gideon, um, the man that the letter to the Hebrews, the writer calls, he is a man of faith. And just compare, right, compare Gideon to this imagining, what we've just imagined together. So hopefully um, you managed to find the book of Judges. If you, if you haven't, you never will at this stage. Um, but I, if, b- before we read, I just need to set the scene so you kind of know where we are in the Bible at this stage. So in the beginning, God creates the world. He creates the world because he is a God of love and he wants to create a, a humanity, a people to share in that love. But then... We have rebelled against God. We have gone, no, God, don't want you. I'm going after my own. I want to go my own way. 
And God does not, he does not react to that and say, no, 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 okay, the universe is ruined, I'm going to throw it away, I'm going to start again. No, God says, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, this sorry, broken world, I am going to come and I'm going to save it. And the way that God decides to go about that is a little bit surprising. God says, you know what, the way I'm going to save this sorry, broken world is by starting a family. That's what God says. So he comes to this one man, this one man, a sheep farmer in what is today, in modern day Iraq. And he comes to this man and he he gives him a new name. He says, Abraham, I am going to, through you and your descendants and your family, I am going to save the whole world. That's what he does. And so he does. does. And this this family grows and it grows and various things happen. They, They end up in Egypt. They end up enslaved and then God rescues them from the Egyptians and leads them out into the wilderness and then they're in the wilderness for a time and then after that he leads them to a land that he gives them a land of their very own and that's where we pick up in the book of Judges and if you go back this week and you know I'd encourage you this week just read through the book of Judges because you could depending on how quickly you read you could read it in 20 or 30 minutes and if you go and do that this week and you read the book of Judges, here's how you will feel. You will feel frustrated. You will feel so frustrated because the same thing just happens again and again and again. This, this is what happens. This is the sequence of events that just seems to loop. Okay, so step one, thing number one that happens. God's people, God's family, the ones that he has chosen and saved abandon God. They go, no God, I don't, I don't want to serve you. I don't want you to be my God. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to chase after my own things. This is, what, this is how uh, Judges chapter 2 puts it. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Those are the uh, other gods. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the other gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. So here's what they say. This is, this is the this spiritual state, in case you're wondering, of God's family. They say, no, no, I, we don't want you, God. We want to be like the other nations. We want their gods. We want to be like the the Midianites. We want to be like the Amalekites. We want their gods. We want to sacrifice our children to them. We want to be just like every other nation. And so step one, they abandon God. Step two, what happens next is what what always happens. Whenever anyone says, no, no, God, I don't want you. I want to serve the, I I want to chase after these other things. What always happens is that those things then enslave you. It's the same today. Turn away from God, chase after other things. Those things they, that seem so alluring, that seem so attractive, they end up enslaving. And that's exactly what happens to, the, to, the, to God's family. They say, well, no, we don't want you, God. We want to be like the Amalekites and the Midianites. And it's exactly those nations that end up enslaving and oppressing God's people. And so they are ruled over and in a great deal of trouble. So that's step two. Step one, we don't want you, God. We want these things. Step two, those things then end up ruling over them. And step three, the people go, oh, what have we done? What have we done? And they cry out to God. And God happily, gladly, readily rushes in to save them. 
usually by one of this rather eclectic bunch of people, rather eccentric bunch of people called the judges. So those three steps repeat through the book of Judges again and again and again. And you read it and you just get so frustrated because it keeps on happening. In fact, by my count, by the time we get to the story of Gideon, we are on the fifth, the fifth repetition of this cycle. So let's pick this up and ask the question, who is Gideon? Let's see how Judges chapter 6 introduces him. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So here's Gideon. He is the man of faith, the mighty man of God, and he is hiding away. He is hiding in a wine press. Here's a, a picture of a, uh, an ancient Middle Eastern wine press. He's, he's Gideon, a man, the mighty man of faith, and he's hiding in a hole in the ground. That's how he is when the angel comes to him. He's literally hiding a hole in the ground, hiding his, his wheat from the Midianites who might come and take it, because he needs that food. And what we also find out when the angel comes to him is that Gideon is the least of the least. Right? He's part of the, the, the least important tribe of Israel. He's the, uh, the, the weakest, most probably the youngest of his family, which is one of the least important families in his tribe. Gideon is, is a nobody. And Gideon responds to the angel effectively by saying, don't, don't you know who I am? I mean, surely you've made a mistake. I mean, I'm in this hole. You've come to me. Mighty man of valor. What? I, I think you might have. Don't you want to pick someone else? He's, he's, also, he's, he's afraid, and just how afraid he is becomes very clear because what happens a little later in the evening is the angel comes again and says, okay, Gideon, here's how you start. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go around town. I want you to go around your family. And tear down all these false gods that people have put up. I want you to destroy them. This is what it says. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Gideon is a coward. See, already there's this big disconnect between the the mighty man of faith, man of God that we were imagining together at the start. When we compare that to who we're presented with, with Gideon. But you might say, well, Matt, hang on, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Like, this, is, this is the start of the story. You know, every hero 
they, they need their hero's journey where at the start they go, oh, can I do it? But then, then they realize, ah, oh, yes, I, I do inside of me have the mighty man of faith and valor inside. I just needed to look inside and God was right. I am. Ah, oh, it's wonderful. I just need to look inside of my heart and believe in myself. Yes, I can be that. That's good, Matt. That's good. You preach that. Say that, say that all of us here, we just need to look inside ourselves and find that the mighty man of faith and valor was there all along if only we had the str- that's good preach that preach that um tell us that and then we you know we'll we'll sing some songs we'll dunk someone in some water for some reason and then we'll drink some coffee eat some cake and go home dude preach that no no i won't no i won't <laughs> and i w- i won't preach that because that is just not how the story of gideon goes down and we start to see this when the Amalekites and the Midianites, the people who are oppressing God's family, when they start to hear, they start to catch a, a whiff of rebellion in the air. And this is what it says. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. The Holy Spirit clothes Gideon. So if we miss this bit, we misread the whole story and we think it's about Gideon. Who, who, is, who is this spirit of the Lord here? Well, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Holy Spirit, God's spirit is kind of a, a mis, in a way, a mysterious character because he seems to just show up suddenly Usually, when God's family is in a lot of trouble, and he comes to one person, and he gives them great power for, to, to do one thing for a little period of time. And then after salvation is won, then the Holy Spirit seems to just vanish. Very mysterious. Very mysterious. But the, the short of what's happening here is that God clothes. He, he wraps around the weak cowardly Gideon, a a supernatural power that absolutely is not found in Gideon naturally. So God, do you see what what happens here? God calls the the feeble, faithless Gideon uh, to to be a mighty man of God. And then God does a miracle inside, does, does something supernatural in him to make him that way. You see, this this whole this whole cowardice thing that Gideon has going on here, it's, it's something that I really, I read that and go, well, that was, that was my story. Like, I have, I have all these memories, not very pleasant memories, when I was a younger teenager. And I did believe, I was a Christian, I believed in Jesus, given my life to him. But, at, like, school, it sounds, it sounds so teenagery, but, like, I found it really hard to express that I had a faith. I found it incredible. And people would ask me questions like, oh, you're, you're a Christian. Like, and it wasn't aggressive or mean. The people were just interested. But I just found it impossible to, to express that I, I just, I, I was a coward. I was riddled with, with cowardice. But one of the things I, I see in not just this story, but many stories through the Bible is that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, on, on people who believe in, in God, that, there is, that they are to, to be filled with power, that there's actually this boldness that comes, a boldness that is unnatural. And I know this from experience, right? Because as a, as a teenager, I had all these moments 
I was a bit confused by them at the time where, you know, maybe in a setting like this at church where there would just be this amazing time of worship and I would just feel God, it's hard to, hard to express really, but I would just feel God's presence in just a, an incredible way, incredible way. And I would often go away from those, I guess you might call them spiritual experiences, kind of going, well, I don't, that was wonderful. I, I enjoyed being that, just that close with God. Oh, it's wonderful. God's spirit being just there, but I'd kind of, what, what was the point of that? What, what, did that, what did that lead to? And I'd go, hmm, I, I don't really know. But what became clear, that God was doing quite a number of things in me, but one of the things that he was doing was, was putting a bit of a boldness, such that by the end of my teenage years, I was fine with going up to strangers on the street and going, hello, can I pray with you? Is there anything? And actually doing that and seeing God do things outside the walls of the church. That, it's not like, oh, Matt is a, an extrovert and that's just what he's, no, no, that is not natural for me. That is weird and crazy. And if I could go back in time and talk to 12-year-old me, I'd be like, what? No, I'd run away. But no, that's what, that's what happens when God's spirit, and, and this is the difference between now and the time of the judges, now and the time of the, in the Old Testament. Because back then, the Holy Spirit was just poured out on one person for one specific thing for a limited time. But now, the Bible says that the, the Holy Spirit, Joel says, there'll come a day, and it has come because Jesus has come, Pentecost has happened, where the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people, all people. And so I believe that this boldness, this boldness to be, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian, yes, I believe, I believe that this is available to us today, and hallelujah, because otherwise we're in trouble, <laughs> or at least I am. And we might expect this transformation, right? That, that God is at this stage in the story beginning to work in Gideon to be instantaneous, to just happen in a flash just like that. But what we actually find is that while he now has this God-given power, we see that Gideon's character is not up to the same level. It's not quite there yet. So this is what happens later on in Judges chapter 6. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So so first, God says that he is going to save Israel using Gideon. And then God clothes Gideon with power. But what is Gideon's response? If, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, there's, there's clearly, Gideon's clearly got a trust issue. There's a, there's a faith problem here. Despite what God has said, despite an angel, the, the angel of the Lord turning up, to say, Gideon, this is the deal, on multiple occasions. Gideon, is, he, he still wants more confirmation. He still wants, and he goes through this, it's this weird test where he, he lays out this sheep's wool fleece and checks, you know, it, what's wet and what isn't, and if this happens then, and he does this, this test twice. He does it twice. Just because, just because God is very patient with, with Gideon, I don't think we should emulate him here. I don't think we should, we should do this. You know, Essentially, God, uh, Gideon is, is, is testing God, trying to discern what, what he has said, despite what has already been said, again, by an angel. 
Just want to, just want that again. You know, and I, I think we can have a much higher expectation of what it's like to, to hear from God. Whether that's God speaking through his word, whether, or, or whether that's by the Holy Spirit through, through the spiritual gifts of, of, of pictures and words of knowledge and, and dreams and things that, oh, I wish I had time to explain and go into a bit more, but let's put it there. I, I just think that we don't need to start shearing sheep and laying out wool or in, our, in some other spiritual way, rolling the dice to see what is God's will. We only know, no, I, I think we can have much higher expectation to, the, to our God who is a, a loving father and wants us to know his will. I don't think we should be laying out sheep's fleeces or whatever the equivalent we could dream up. What we see, though, in, in how Gideon lays out the fleeces is that Gideon's character, you know, what, what's going on in his heart, and the God-given ability and power that the Holy Spirit has granted him, those, those two things, they're not at the same level, not, not yet. And this, this ought to be, honestly, this ought to be very encouraging for us. I, I find this in, encouraging. Perhaps, you've, perhaps as, as a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may have noticed Christians who are just like that. Who they, they have this incredible God-given gift, you know. Maybe, maybe they, can, they, just, they're a bit, they can just lead worship or they just have this leadership gift or they're a speaker. And they have some amazing God-given gift but then, or, or healing, a bit, like whatever it is. But you, you also notice that their character doesn't quite match up to that God-given ability. And you might even think to yourself, why, why would God choose to give them that gift? Why would God? It's grace. It's grace. It's God being very, very kind. God accepts Gideon, even though he's got this weak, cowardly, frail faith. Gideon enjoys this grace from God. And you know what? It's just the same for us. It's just the same for us. We don't deserve God's favor. You know that? We don't deserve God's favor. And yet, but in Jesus, we receive that freely, don't we? See, God isn't done with Gideon yet. So here's the beginning of chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Too many. You've got too much of an army, Gideon. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Okay, this is not... This is not what a general ought to do. This is insanity. The, the general is not meant to go, if you want to go home, you can go home. No, the, the general is meant to do this rousing speech to inspire self-sacrificing courage in, in his men. He's meant to go, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he who sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. You know, oh. Some of you are just like, what? I, I don't know. What has just... Shakespeare. It's Henry the... Okay. Two, that was too Shakespearean. I can, I can do other. I can do another. Let's do... Um, I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army 
of my countrymen, united in defiance against tyranny. You come as free men, and free men you... No, too... Too Scottish? Or not Scottish enough, because I, I can't do the accent, and that's my, own, that's my own problem. I can't do accents. And you're saying, no, you have an accent. No, I don't have an accent. All you Canadians have an accent. That's how that works. There may come a day when the courage of men will fail. When we break all bonds of friendship and fellowship, but it is not this day. And we hear that and go, yes, yes, Aragorn, I'll charge the, I'll charge the black gate with you. For Frodo, yeah. And, and that is what a general ought to do. They ought to inspire courage. Not what Gideon does here. Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away. No, he loses two-thirds of his army. God, however, doesn't think that's enough. In fact, God then further whittles down this army from 10,000 to 300. Just 300. You see, what God has been doing all along, all along in this story... First, by choosing Gideon of all people. And second, by assembling an army and then sending just about all of it away, is that he wants to underline that it's only him who is going to do the hard work of salvation. God wants it to be crystal clear. This is not going to be Gideon's victory. It's not going to be Israel's victory. God's power is such that he can win with any hand he's been dealt, even when it's a hand that consists of 300 scared soldiers led by deeply unimpressive, unqualified Gideon. See, the way the story ends is, is, is God telling Gideon, okay, mount, mount a surprise attack against those people. Just in the middle of the night, show up, blow some trumpets, and, and, and Gideon does. And, and the, the armies that are amassed around them they, they, they are thrown into this panic and they, there's this, this huge rout and they turn on one another and they destroy one another. And you can imagine Gideon and his army just going, well, this is all kind of just happening. This is all just happening. Gideon, salvation comes. They are saved. Here's how, here's how the story wraps up. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son." And your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. And my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. See, what Gideon has learned, what God has been teaching him this whole time, is that it's not about him. See, the the men of Israel are saying, okay, well, Gideon, you, come on. You did this. You worked this uh, incredible victory. You, you get to rule now. And Gideon knows exactly how much of this that he has done. He knows how much he's done. And it's exactly, precisely nothing. Gideon has not done a thing. He has figured out what it means to be a mighty man of God. God picks the weakest. That's how it was in, in Gideon's day. You know what, Grace City? It's how it is today. See, many hundreds of years later, there's a Christian named Paul, and he's writing to a church in Corinth 
in Greece. And he's explaining this to them. He's, he's making the same point because he wants them to understand this because it's so important. He says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Listen, if you are a Christian here this morning, if you have placed your faith in God, you're a Christian because God chose you and he did not, he he chose you because you were weak. He chose you because you were weak. God wasn't like, wait, what's going on here in Ottawa? Oh, some very impressive people here. I like their resumes. No, that's not what, God chose you because you were weak. Now you see people who end up being saved, the people who end up entering the kingdom of heaven and knowing this powerful God, the God that we were singing to and saying he is holy, the people who get to, to know God, who actually get to say that incredible thing, I know God, the ones who end up getting saved from the enemies, the enslaving enemies of sin and death, are those who are just as flawed and faithless and feeble as Gideon. In other words, the ones who experience God's salvation, the blessings of God, are those who know they need saving. Are those who know they need saving. You know, in just a few minutes, we're going to be baptizing Shirley in this pool. Just a bit. Perhaps you've come this morning just to see that. Just a a, a wonderful, thanks for coming. It's great that you've come to support Shirley. Now, what you need to understand about baptism is the statement that is being made here by Shirley publicly and us us as a church is not, you know, Shirley's not going to stand up here and go, yes, I have made it. I have arrived spiritually. I've done it. I have become holy and pious. And I, that is not the statement that you're going to hear from, from Shirley. No, what will happen when we baptize Shirley is that we will baptize her into someone else's work of salvation. Paul, again, he writes again to that same church in in Corinth. He says this, we are not competent in ourselves, but our competence comes from God. It's not that Shirley has saved herself any more than Gideon or God's family saved themselves. No. When we submerge Shirley beneath the water, we affirm that that she is united with Jesus' perfect death on her behalf. And when we lift her back out again, we declare what has already happened in Shirley spiritually, that she is raised to new life, eternal life, with God. That's what, that's what you this morning need to know about baptizing. It's about publicly recognizing as a church, as her church family who love her, that, she, that Shirley is saying, I'm with Jesus. By the grace of God, Gideon wins a temporary, imperfect salvation for Israel. If you went on and read the book of Judges, you'd see the cycle continues. Temporary, imperfect, but Jesus, Jesus wins an eternal victory on our behalf. Israel is, is freed from these other nations who are enslaving them and oppressing them. Jesus brings a victory from the great cosmic enemies of death and sin. Gideon defeats the enemies of God's people 
Jesus defeats those cosmic enemies of humanity and makes a way so that anyone can experience that, even here this morning. And in fact, if you're here this morning and you'll say, I don't know the salvation of God. I, don't, I, I can't say, I, I, don't know, I don't know God. You can't say, I know him. But maybe this morning you just say, I want that. If it's not about how good I am, if I just have to come with a feeble, broken, flawed faith like Gideon's, maybe, maybe, oh, maybe I can be saved. Maybe I can be a Christian. If that's you this morning, and you're thinking, you know what, this morning, I think I want to give my life to God. And you'll find, maybe that's even a surprising thing for you this morning to be going, oh, actually, I actually think I want this. Then what I'd like to say is just, I encourage you to come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to chat with you, answer any questions you have, maybe pray with you. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that's good. Okay, well, what we're going to do now is we are going to um, get Shirley up. Shirley is the... Would you, come on, Shirley, come on up. And please, a warm welcome. A warm welcome to Shirley.